Good morning. My name is Jen Ashby. It's my privilege to look at the scriptures with you this morning. And I posted on Facebook this morning that when I was first assigned this topic for today, my first reaction was, oh no. Um, But as usual, God is working it out for something good. Um, Here's why I thought, oh no. I have an uncanny ability to withstand God's conviction um, and to not respond to how he's nudging me. But he knows that um, a time when I can't withstand his conviction is when I'm actually going to be up, fr- up front in, in front of people talking about something. If I have to preach about something, um, if I'm not actively engaged in trying to wrestle that out, then the conviction comes on me so strong that I can't stand it. And so sometimes when God's watching me evade, I feel like sometime in his winsome way, he just goes, oh, okay, well, we'll just put that on the preaching schedule then. So today we're going to talk about the body. And uh, I was telling someone who lives out of state um, a little bit of, you know, what's coming up and this issue and we're going to be speaking on this and about the fact that, you know, once I talk about something from this platform in front of a whole group of people, I'm indirectly opening myself up to a lot of accountability, right? And um, that's sobering. Uh, And this friend said, yeah, that is a little different than like when I write about the body in my journal that no one ever reads. (laughs) Yeah, it is. It is a little different. So be gentle with me this morning, okay? I am a work in progress. I have only one memory of being spanked as a child. And it came from um, something that emerged from the temptation of an Oreo cookie. Now, my mom used to tell me that I was actually spanked many more times than this, but just that I was so young that I don't remember. This is the only time I remember. Uh, Let me tell you what happened. On our little block of Joanne Drive in Mulvane, Kansas, there were four houses in a row that had girls around my age, and we all played together. It was the Klauses, the Grundens, the Preys, and the Ashbys. And the rule at this season, at, at our house, at my house, was that I could play outside at the front yard or the backyard of any of those houses and go back and forth to the front yards and the backyards. But if I wanted to go to a friend's house on the next street over, or if I wanted to go inside somebody's house, I need to come back to my parents and ask permission to do that. And part of my parents' thinking in this is that if I was just in those four front yards and backyards, then at any time my mom could come outside and say, Jennifer, it's time to come home. And she always did it just like that. And I would hear her and I would come home. Well, one day we were playing in the Grundens' front yard, and Mrs. Grunden came out, and she said, Girls, would you like to come inside for some Oreo cookies and milk? Now, you got to understand that something like a store-bought Oreo cookie was very exotic and special in my world. Because at our house, we did not have store-bought cookies, My mom baked cookies, and she baked brownies, and she baked cake. And now, looking back, I see what a gift that was, to have homemade desserts like that. But at the time, it did not minimize the fact that I was enamored by store-bought cookies. And so when Mrs. Grunden said, would you like to come in for some Oreos and milk? 
I was, uh, I was like transported. <laughs> now, I don't know why I didn't just say to Mrs. Grundin, uh, Mrs. Grundin, thank you. I don't have permission to come inside. May I eat the cookie on the porch? I did not say that. I do not know why I didn't say to Mrs. Grundin, Mrs. Grundin, can I run home real quick and ask my mom permission to come inside because I don't have permission to come inside? I did not say that. In the Oreo trance, I said, yes, and I came inside. The problem was not with the Oreo cookie. The problem was not with sugar. The moral of this story is not that sugar is bad. But I went inside the Grundins. That was the problem. I was only in there for like five minutes. But you know, that was the five minutes that my mom went outside and said, Jennifer, it's time to come home. And I didn't hear her. And I did not come home. And my mom started coming through that neighborhood like a mama bear looking for her cub. And the instant I heard the Grundin's doorbell, I knew it was her. I knew it was her. And I got a spanking from my dad that night. Again, the problem was not the Oreo cookie, right? The problem was that I obeyed, I followed this physical craving rather than obeying my parents. Obedience is love. Love is obedience. And in that moment, I chose to love the Oreo more (laughs) than I loved my parents. We're in the midst of a series right now called Praxis, an invitation to more. And the scriptural theme for this series is from John 10.10. And on the big Bible timeline... John falls in the category of the Gospels, which is towards the right-hand side of your screen. This is what Jesus said in John 10.10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus offers a rich and satisfying life. But there are thieves that would seek to steal that life from you and me. If we were to back up in this passage just a few verses to verses 3 and 4, we would see that we're to listen to and follow Jesus' voice. And it would seem from the Bible that Jesus' voice invites us to some practices, some rhythms that will increase the likelihood that we really experience this abundant, rich life. It's a life of being connected with God of being the people we're really made to be, of living the life we're really made to live. The practices that we've covered already in this series have had to do with scripture, knowing and applying scripture. And then last week, Pastor Mark talked about practices around rest and Sabbath. You can listen to those messages on our website. And today we're going to talk about practices related to the body. And in front of you in the seat back pocket, you have some notes if you want to follow along. There may be some thieves around that are trying to steal from you in this area and keep you from the life God has for you. But the good news is that there are some practices that we can engage in that are going to help us to live into the life that God meant for us. Let's take a look at this video about Amber and her experience in this area. Hi, I'm Amber Morris. And before I started the Daniel Plan, I was a 252-pound mom of three. 
I've been married for 17 years. My husband and I have both struggled with our weight our entire life. And neither one of us really had energy to play with the kids. Um, we would take them to the park and sit in the car or sit on a bench while we watched them play. Some girls from my small group at church wanted to go through the Daniel plan together, read it as a group. And I told them that I would read the book, but there's no way that I could ever follow this plan because I could not physically stomach vegetables at all. So when I first started, I only agreed to read the book. And once I got through the book, I agreed to just do the 10-day detox. Throughout the detox, something was reset in my brain, and I actually started to crave vegetables and they're an everyday part of my life now. I can't imagine not eating vegetables. For the first nine months, my family and I just followed the plan. And we were able to lose um, 65 pounds each, my husband and I, over the nine month period, just following the eating plan. There was a chapter on fitness and I did feel led to exercise. So I decided to start with just taking a mile long walk after dinner before I went to bed. Just 20 minutes of my day. And so I started with that and then eventually graduated up to three miles a day and then five miles a day. And then now I go to the gym, I lift weights, I take step class, kickboxing class, and I'll walk five or 10 miles. Our children love the fact that we have a lot more energy and we're more fit now. We love to take family bike rides. I enjoy running in 5Ks with my 12-year-old daughter. Family vacations look completely different now as far as what we do. We're so much more active and we're just able to have so much more fun now that we have energy. I have had to go back and rely on God a lot throughout this journey. I still have cravings. We try to stick to the 90-10 rules, so I do allow myself some sweets. But there are days that I have to pray and ask God to help me to crave better things and remind myself that this is the body that God gave me and that I need to take care of it. God has really put a calling on my life to help people to get healthier and transform their lives. I lead small groups where I teach people about the Daniel Plan already and I just enrolled to become a certified personal trainer as just one more step for me to help people to live a healthier life. After seeing the amazing transformations and life changes that we've been able to make throughout the Daniel Plan, I am so excited to see what God can do in other people's lives through the Daniel Plan. So the Daniel Plan is the material that Clint Messer's small group is using this semester, but I wanna be clear, neither Clint nor I get any kind of commission for getting you to do the Daniel plan. There's a lot of great resources and tools out there. What I wanted you to take away from that video is simply that here's a woman who incrementally made some changes in the practices she had around her body. And God used those things for some of her own transformation, to change some of the dynamics of relationships in her family, and to get her launched out on mission serving people in some new ways. We're going to talk this morning about theology of the Bible. Uh, what does the Bible have to say about the body? Uh, theology of the body, excuse me. Theology of the body, what does the Bible have to say about our body? We're going to address a few questions and then talk very briefly about 
practices. But we're going to spend the most time on theology because what you believe about your body will drive whatever practices you do or do not have in this area. What does the Bible say about all of this? First, our bodies belong to God. In the Christian Missionary Alliance, that's the denomination of which we're a part, one of our values is God's the only, God is the owner of everything and we are simply stewards. And usually when we say that, most of us go straight to thinking about physical possessions and money. Oh yeah, that's about giving money. And that's certainly a part of it. Uh, but truly, God is the owner of everything. Check this out in Psalm 24.1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. God made us. God made us. We did not make ourselves. Our biological parents were involved in the process, but even they did not make us. God made us. Psalm 139, 13. You created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Now, if we take this story a little further, we would see that God made us, and then we were taken captive into slavery to sin. And Jesus, when he died on the cross, was paying a price. He was paying a a ransom to get us out of captivity and back to freedom. If you've placed your faith in Jesus, then that price, that ransom, has been applied to you in your life, and you are bought back to God. 1 Corinthians 6. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You are bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. I belong to God twice over. I belong to God 200%. Because first he made me out of nothing. And then he bought me back out of sin. If you know me very well, you know that I am not particularly a car person. I drive a 2010 Honda Civic that I bought used, and it suits me just fine. I would not say that I abuse this car, but I do sometimes treat it like a pickup truck. I grew up in a family where we always had a pickup truck. I don't have one now, so that's how I use my Honda Civic. So for example, this Christmas, when I got my Christmas tree, my seats do not, my back seats do not fold down in my Civic. So I laid the front passenger side seat back and opened that window. And then from the driver's side back seat door, I just shoved the tree. Shoved the tree in there. It was sticking out a little bit, but it worked fine. In contrast, a few years ago, the car I drove at the time was in the shop. And some friends lent me a car to use until my car was ready. They lent me a new Mercedes SUV. Now, while I was driving this Mercedes, I was very careful to obey traffic laws and speed limits. I was watching for potholes. I parked this thing out away from other cars to minimize the possibility that it got dinged. This next statement is very meaningful if you know me. I didn't even drink coffee in this car (laughs) because I didn't want to spill anything. Right Now, I did all those things not only because it was a nice car, 
but because I really valued my relationship with those friends. And appreciating and respecting their property was a way to appreciate and respect them. The way I treat my car is a little different how I treat their car. What I'm saying to you this morning is, we are all driving loners. We're all driving loners. These bodies belong to God. Second, our bodies are one valuable aspect of us. There are some extremes of thinking about the body that we need to avoid. One of those extremes is this idea of undervaluing the body. There is a school of thought that would say that all physical things, including our physical bodies, are really not important. Some would go so far as to say that physical things, including our physical bodies, are evil. The same school of thought says what matters, what's really sacred, is our minds and our spirits. So we should ignore, disregard, even reject our bodies and really invest only in our mind and our spirits. Well, the Apostle Paul preached against this kind of dualism in Colossians 2, verse 23. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. In other words, at first pass, this approach sounds really spiritual and godly. To hear someone say, oh no, I don't, I don't really pay much attention to the body. I'm all about the mind and the spirit. At first pass, maybe. But what Paul is saying here is that that kind of approach, that kind of thinking isn't right and it isn't valuable. So we're not to undervalue our bodies, but on the other extreme, we're not to overvalue our bodies far above these other aspects of us. Over the last couple weeks, I just reread the book of John, looking for how Jesus and the disciples lived their physical life, their, their physical life, and what they had to say about the physical life. I think that when you do that, you will come to the same conclusion that I came to, which is that Jesus' message was essentially, on this topic, was essentially, the body matters, but it's not everything. It matters, but it's not everything. In John 3, Jesus is having a conversation with Nicodemus about what it means to be born again. And my very loose paraphrase is this. The physical birth matters, but there is also a spiritual birth. The body matters, but it's, it's not everything. Think about this. Jesus identified himself with food. He said, I'm the bread of life. I'm the living water. On more than one occasion, he fed thousands of people miraculously. His first miracle was to turn water into wine. So clearly, he did not have a problem with food. (laughs) But in John 4, when the disciples are trying to get him to eat, what he says, again, this is my very loose paraphrase, What he says is, yes, there is physical food, but there is also the food of doing the will of my heavenly father. 
I'm not sustained merely by physical food, but by doing the will of my heavenly Father. The body matters, but it is not everything. So our bodies are not to be undervalued, and they're not to be overvalued. They are one valuable aspect of us. Third, our bodies are meant to obey God. That day when I was eight years old, standing on the Grundon's porch, I'm telling you, my desire for that Oreo cookie was so strong, it was like separate from me and it had its own life. I don't know if you can relate to that, but I have had that kind of craving and desire many, many times and for many different kinds of things. Desire can be so strong, it feels like it's going to boss you around or push you around. And it's also possible to have um, really positive cravings and, and uh, uh, healthy cravings, but these, man, these cravings that are going to lead you down a path that's less than good, man, they're strong. And they could be about eating something, or they could be about laying on the couch night after night instead of moving, or they could be about satisfying a sexual desire with someone who is not your spouse, but they can be strong. Here's the thing, though. We weren't made to be pushed around by these kinds of physical cravings. We weren't made to be slaves to them. We're not made to be captive to them. We're not made to obey them. Rather, our bodies are meant to obey God. Just listen to this next scripture, because I made a mistake in the PowerPoint. So just listen from Romans 6, 12 to 14. Therefore... Do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace." Remember the story? We were captives to sin. We were enslaved to it. But Jesus paid the ransom and bought us back. So let's not get ourselves led right back into some other kind of slavery. The slavery to our cravings. To some extent, we can learn to change our cravings and actually long for things that are great for us. But even when we do have craving, good or bad, We have the freedom and the power to decide how we're going to respond. That freedom is possible through the power of the Holy Spirit at work within us. And we sang about that this morning. It's also fanned into flame by the support and encouragement of the community of faith. And the last point of theology today, the one that's really got my attention in the last couple weeks is this. We're going to slide right past that. Our bodies affect how we fulfill the great commandment. I want you to picture up here a scale of motivation. One to ten. How motivated is Jen to have healthy practices for the body? One is over here, ten is over here. On this scale, what would motivate me? On this scale, I'm going to put athleticism over here at a zero. I know many of you love sports. That's great. I'm happy for you. I have no desire. 
I literally could not be less interested. I don't want to run a marathon. It's not on my bucket list. It's a zero for me. Okay? On the same scale of motivation, I'm going to put right about at three, I'm going to put vanity. Because the truth is I am somewhat vain. (laughs) I do care to some extent how I look. However, I'm not vain enough (laughs) to make it keep me doing these practices regularly. I see some of you nodding. I'm not making any eye contact. (laughs) I am vain, but I'm not vain enough to really, really keep doing it. Now I'm going to put on the same scale, I'm going to give it a five or six. I'm going to put health and mobility. I'm going to turn 45 this year. Thank you. I have lived long enough to see how life plays out for some of my friends, family, patients, when I worked in healthcare, etc. Health and mobility. For as long as I am on this earth, I want to be able to move and I want to be able to travel. And I realize there are multiple things that play into that. But to the extent that I can influence it, I'm, I'm, I'm starting to be a little more motivated about that. Now here's the new development in my life. <laughs> That's getting me up here to 7, 8, maybe even like 8.5 on some days. It's this idea that our bodies affect how we fulfill the great commandment. Here's what I mean by the great commandment. Mark 12. This is what Jesus said when somebody asked him, what's the most important commandment? He said, the most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Notice that strength is actually in the verse. Rick Warren makes this observation in the Daniel plan that I think is very, very basic, but very profound. He says, everything that God wants you to do and everything that you want to do requires a body. In this earth, in this life, that's how it works. (laughs) Everything God wants you to do and everything you want to do requires a body, even if what you want to do is sit and think. In this life, on this earth, that requires a physical brain that is affected by what you eat and how much you exercise and how much you sleep and your stress level. Everything. The research referenced in the Daniel plan and lots of other places is overwhelming. But some of this I already know, not because of research, but because of my experience. I know that what I eat and how much I move and how much I sleep affects my ability to focus and my level of energy and how relaxed I am. In contrast to being unfocused and sluggish and irritable, and I have witnesses if you need more evidence that I can, in fact, be all those things in a really... That affects how I love God and how I interact with and how I love people. I told you last month that my word or my theme for 2018 that I think God has impressed upon me is eternity. 
eternity. In eternity, it will not matter how fast I could run a mile or how much I could bench press. It also will not matter what size pants I wore. It won't matter. But how I loved God and how I love people, that's going to matter for eternity. And come to find out, my body has something to do with that. Our bodies affect how we fulfill the great commandment. Let me address a handful of questions that I put in your notes. First, oh, sorry, no, no, don't let me go. Don't make me miss that. It's so good. Some of you are familiar with this verse, Romans 12, 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is true worship. Many of you know this verse. This week, go back and look at that chapter and see where it goes from there. It starts with this verse, and then it goes into serving, and then it goes into loving. But offering your body is what comes first. It's the prerequisite to be able to do all these other things. It affects. It affects how we love God and other people, how we serve and how we love. Now we'll talk about some questions. First, what is God saying to me? That's what I hope you are asking yourself this morning. What is God saying to me? Versus, I hope so-and-so is listening. I'm going to send somebody this link this week. Right? I hope that you're first asking, what is God saying to me? And as you ask yourself that question, I really don't want you to go to the place of, yeah, I'm blowing it, still blowing it. I don't want you to go to a place of shame and all that. I also, as you ask the question, I don't want you to go to the other extreme and go, yeah, I got this one. Feeling pretty good about this. This area of my life is in check. I'm just saying, ask God, God, what are you saying to me? What are you saying to me? The next question is, what is within my control? I would like to acknowledge this morning that there are things about our bodies, physical conditions, and circumstances that are truly outside of our control. They are realities. They are realities, period. Okay? However, many of us are a little too quick to go to, well, that's out of my control. Well, it's out of my control. So let's take, for example, sleep. Now, we have some families in our congregation with newborns, And right now they're thinking, yeah, I'd love to be getting more regular sleep, right? This is not their reality right now. (laughs) It's beyond their control. There may be others of us who aren't sleeping very much or very regularly. Maybe you're thinking, well, Jen, you know, uh, I can't fall asleep till 2. I'm just not sleepy till 2, and then I got to get up at 8 or be at work at 8 or be at school at 8. Some of you are thinking, eight? I got up at five. Where did she pull eight? So if that's your situation, maybe ask the next few questions, right? If you're unable to sleep. Well, what's the next question? When are you turning off the caffeine and sugar? At what point in the day or the evening do you turn off the caffeine and sugar? Or, because that'll affect your sleep. At what point in the day or evening are you turning off the screen time? Because they say that stimulation neurologically 
keeps you stimulated. Are you exercising regularly? Because that'll affect how you sleep. I picked sleep as an example because this is an area that I struggle with. And to be honest with you, there are times I'm doing everything that I know how to do to increase the likelihood that I fall asleep and I still can't fall asleep. (laughs) But I think you get the point, right? What is within my control? What is within my control? The next question is, is there a mixed message? Is there a mixed message from what Jen is saying this morning and Jen's actual life? And the answer is yes. There is a mixed message. I am a work in progress. And I'm going to tell you which of these practices is hardest for me when we get to them. Is there a mixed message between what I am saying this morning and how we function as a church? Yes. Yes. And it's got me rethinking some things, like uh, what kind of snacks we have at the spring carnival. Don't worry, I'm not trying to get rid of all sugar, all right? But maybe there could be an alternative, right? I have small group dinner tonight. We're having a potluck. And I thought, I cannot get up on Sunday morning and make this big speech and then bring fill-in-the-blank to the potluck dinner, right? So it's got me rethinking some things. This is messy. These kinds of practices have ripple effects. And in the meantime, I'm just acknowledging a little bit of a mixed message. And the last question is, is this all? Is this all? Have I presented to you this morning everything the Bible says about the body? Have I given you a comprehensive theology of the body? And the answer is no. Uh, Am I going to outline for you every single practice that seems biblical or wise in this area? And the answer is no. This morning is just the body 101. I'm only going to mention a few practices very briefly. Because we live in a society where the resources about this are abundant. In fact, they're overwhelming if you start looking for tools and resources. So just a few. First, eat nutritious food. Many of us would benefit from drinking more water. Many many of us would benefit from eating more nutritious food like vegetables and fruits and from eating fewer, less nutritious foods like desserts or other empty calorie foods. Maybe save those for your Sabbath feast or for a special occasion rather than making them daily or multiple times a day, which is really the norm for a lot of us. Eat nutritious food, move. This is the one that's hardest for me. (laughs) Move. Many of us would benefit from moving more. So maybe every couple of hours you get up and take a stretch break. Maybe you take the stairs instead of the elevator or escalator. Maybe you play catch with your kids. It doesn't have to be the insanity workout. If you've heard of the insanity workout, it's actually marketed that way. It doesn't have to be the insanity workout. It could be the insanity workout. If you want to do the insanity workout, go for it. I also do not get commission from them, right? What I'm saying is there's a whole spectrum here. And instead of getting overwhelmed, just think, may just move more. Maybe just move more. Third, sleep. The research says that most adults 
uh, do best with seven to eight hours of sleep on average a night. Not all of us fall right in that category, but all of us do benefit from adequate and regular sleep, and we've already mentioned a few things that can help with that. And finally, relax. What prolonged unhealthy stress will do to your body is a downward spiral. So if you are a person who is really driven and it's starting to affect you in some negative ways in other areas of your life, like your relationships or your physical health, then maybe it'd be good to talk with God about that and talk with a couple of Christian friends about that. Or if you're a person who uh, your norm is to be worried and anxious, that's not so much your exception, but really more the status quo. Maybe good to talk with God about that and talk with a couple of friends about that. So if these practices are not already your habits, I just want to acknowledge that making these your habits can be hard. Uh, I know that because I'm in the midst of trying to make some lifestyle changes myself. But again, with the power of the Holy Spirit at work within us, the support and encouragement of the community of faith, we can make some real change here. God could make some real change in some ways that really do matter for the long haul. I want to... let you know that if you're interested in exploring this whole idea of holistic health more, you can still join Clint's group. They got started this past Monday, so tomorrow night will be just their second gathering. Very fun group with already some some momentum. If you'd like to join up with them, talk to Clint today. Or if you're interested but can't quite commit to actually physically gathering with that group, but you'd like to track along with what they're doing... That is also a possibility. So again, please talk with Clint today. I want to leave you with some words from Nick Vucic. Vucic. Nels, how do you say that? I I thought you provided me that pronunciation before. No. Sorry. From Nick. He's a Serbian-Australian gentleman who now lives in California with his wife, four children, ages four and under. They have a set of twins in there. And this gentleman was born without arms or legs. I want to say that again. This gentleman was born without arms or legs. If anybody would be inclined to like give up on their body or give up on life, it would be a guy like this. But he is actually living a very full and abundant life and he is launched on mission as an evangelist. Check out this picture and this quote. I have the choice to be angry at God for what I don't have or be thankful for what I do have. And I know the quality of the picture isn't ideal, though, but can you see what he's doing? What is he doing? He's golfing. He's golfing. The gentleman with no arms and legs is golfing. Here's another one. I think he's speaking at a church here. I see the the Bible in the foreground and the cross in the back. He says, take small steps in the right direction. No matter how small your steps, keep moving forward toward your goal. Here's a guy with some credibility to talk about the body, (laughs) what's in our control, and moving forward. I hope that that inspires you 
to think a little bit about how much control you really do have and to consider maybe a small step in the direction that God may be speaking to you to this morning. Let's pray together. God, you are worthy and you are entitled to every part of us. You are the rightful owner of our minds and our hearts, our spirits, our souls, and our bodies. Thank you for the gift of our bodies. No matter what physical challenges we're facing today, we were able to get ourselves together and get here this morning. And that is no small thing. So thank you. God, I pray for those among us who uh, are daunted by making some of these kinds of changes, maybe have tried to make changes in the past and have had trouble um, following through with those or other hindrances have come in the way. God, for those folks especially, would you infuse some hope, some power, some creativity about how to take a next step that you may be speaking to them? God, I pray that as a faith community, we'd be able to encourage and support one another in these areas in ways that are truly edifying. God, I also pray that you would help us to live with the long view of what's going to matter in eternity and how we can move into that practically. We pray this in the name of Jesus who came in the flesh. Amen.